Isn't that a great song? Thank you, Pastor Steve, for uh, getting that one for us. I'm looking forward to singing that not only next week, but lots of weeks. That's a good, strong song out of, uh, I imagine there's an Irish, uh, with Keith Getty and those, there's an Irish flavor to that. That might be some reason why I like it a little bit, but great lyrics, solid song. Man, I enjoyed the brass this morning, too. Uh, Anybody enjoy that? Yeah. I'm an old brass freak from the 70s. You know the power bands, Tower of Power, Lighthouse, Chicago. Those were the bands I enjoyed back in those days. Anybody like that stuff? All right, yeah. Okay, let's find out what God has to say now. Well, I wanted to recap a little bit about um, where we've been and how this journey uh, emotionally has taken us on this Live Big series. I want to keep you with me uh, somewhat emotionally as I've tried to to journey with you on this. And uh, we started out the Live Big series right at the beginning of the new year with great eagerness, right? In the, certainly in the audience, at least, I believe that, that we, we really thought this was a great um, direction for us, that God would want us to live big in 2009 and onward. And then as the weeks went by, I think there was some consternation that started to develop in our lives as we came to terms face-to-face with what Live Big really is all about and the kind of spiritual excellence and and level that, that God really has for us. And, and often some of us were left a little bit bewildered saying, you know, I'm not really there. I, I haven't arrived at that place yet. And, and so there was some concerns. And we, we knew the, te- the teaching wasn't all that different, but uh, some of the experiencing of it was, was lacking in our lives. And so, so um, there was some concern that I, that I experienced in my own life as I tried to read the read you and read the congregation, that we might be sinking into some sort of insecurities in our, in our faith and who we are. And so we took a bit of a pause for a few weeks and just, just reminded ourselves of, uh, of what it is to be a follower of Christ, a Christian by faith, believing in Him and receiving the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, receiving the Spirit of God. And we realized that this growing experience in Christ is not dissimilar to how we received Him in the first place. We received Christ by faith, receiving the work that He wanted to do in transforming our lives, and we grow the same way, by faith, receiving the work of Christ in our lives. And we talk about that as being the uh, filling work, or the ongoing filling work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we took some time to, to spend some time doing that, and we, we realized that, that when results and, and requirements collide, there's a filling of the Spirit that occurs Love is both the result and a requirement and other, other things we've learned that, that that's how God's spirit works in our lives. And so we left here last Sunday all amped up and passionate, right, about, about living big for Christ, being filled with the spirit. And then 24 hours later, or 48 hours later, we hit the wall, kicked the dog, slammed the door. Missed out on an opportunity, guys, to be really gracious to our wife when she was being really annoying. Remember that? That happened like 48 hours after the sermon. Maybe not even that long. (laughs) I better stay on script here. (laughs) Gossiping about that guy to that guy. Or maybe some of us lied to our parents about where we were Friday night or what we were doing. And so um, the question that we have on the heels of being all amped up about living for Christ and being filled with the Spirit is, what now? It didn't hold very long. What am I going to do? In the second film 
of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the Two Towers. There's a king who's reluctant to go to war. His name's Theoden. He's lord of the horse warriors of Rohan. And it seems that uh, he's fearful and timid, and there are these, this army of marching marauders who were raised up uh, just to destroy the world of humans, and they're marching across the, the land, slaughtering women and children. And, and um, Theoden balks at the idea of attacking and says, I will not risk open war. To that, Aragorn replies, Open war is upon you, whether you would risk it or not. I didn't make much of it at the time. But as we were developing this Live Big series, and we developed it from fundamentally John chapter 10, verse 10, I'd invite you to turn there this morning. I didn't make much of it at the time, but Jesus certainly did. In that particular scripture text, Jesus says, I have come that I might give you life and might give it to you more abundantly or give you abundant life. And that's where we moved on our Live Big series. We, we moved from that and said, well, what is this promise that Christ has given us? What does it look like? What does life to the full look like? What I didn't do is talk to you about what was juxtaposed just before that. And Jesus made a big deal out of it. He said, I've come to give you abundant life, but the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy. It's as if Jesus is saying to us, open war is upon you. And it's important for us as we continue on in this series. And, and by the way, I, I don't usually do this, but... But this series has been unfolding from Monday morning to Monday morning. I come in, I'm just like, Lord, what's the next, what's the next piece of this journey? It's extreme. Pastor Steve has to be extremely patient with me these days to try and come up with a theme that's going on while I'm wrestling with the Lord. But, but I'm, I'm looking to the Lord as we go on this journey. What is, this, what is the message for us that is really urgent right now in this whole Live Big series? And... And it just was a strong impression on my heart that that this was the week we needed to start on a journey to talk about the battle that you are in with respect to the desire in your hearts to live big for God, to know what it is to be filled with the Spirit of God. But you need to understand that Jesus said, the thief comes. You want to live big? The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Open war is upon you. Now, I think uh, a lot of us have avoided uh, going overboard on the whole devil-made-me-do-it stuff. The idea that there are demons under every couch cushion. And, and for good reason. But maybe we have swung the pendulum too far and we've come to the place in our lives where we have missed the, uh, the point that, uh, that this Christian life is a battle <laughs> There could be no better song than what we sung just before this sermon to to talk about this battle that we're in. It's a victorious battle, but it's nevertheless a battle. And maybe you're finding, uh, and by the way, as we started to listen, this is not a one sermon. There's no way we can cover this in one sermon. So we're going to open up your eyes this morning to the reality of the battle. And, 
And, and you're going to leave again this week saying, oh, you know, we, we haven't really got to what we need to do. That's my way of getting you back next week. We'll talk about next week, probably going to be three weeks on this. So we can sing this, this hymn, Steve, for three weeks if you want to. But we'll probably be three weeks into this. And, and so I, I want to ask, first of all, that, to look into your heart and, and ask the question, are there signs of, of denial in your life that there's, there's a spiritual battle? And, and if, if you have these symptoms, then maybe you're in spiritual warfare denial. You, you, you find yourself overly sophisticated. You're saying back to me as I, as I introduced this sermon. Now, come on, Rick. We, we live in a high-tech, high-science world. What's with all this goblin stuff you're about to foist upon us? That's, that's the old world demonological past. That, that, that happened way back when. But what are you talking about? Are you telling me that there's, there's things happening right here, right now, right with us? Maybe you're too sophisticated for that. Or maybe you find you, <clears throat> that you've domesticated your spirituality. Maybe somehow you think that everything is simple and clean and, and controllable and manageable and, and, and uh, explainable in your life. Uh, however, I, I really tend to doubt it. I mean, anybody who's really breathing air and walking around these days finds that their life is not easily explainable or controllable or manageable. Uh, life just has a way. Or maybe you find yourself an SIU guy, a special um, isolation unit. You, you get the idea that uh, because I came to know Christ, that, that Christ has put a hedge around me. And we, we often pray that on behalf of one another. Please put a hedge around them. And so maybe we got the idea that when we signed up for Christianity, God put a permanent hedge around us that, that Satan can't touch us. And so you think you're some sort of special isolation unit. Well, again, I don't think if you're really paying attention to how life is unfolding for you that you would really be convinced that, that you are isolated and insulated from dark forces. You're saying, well, wait a minute, what about the, the greater is he thing? What about that? Well, yeah, greater is he. That's what it's referring to. But, but we have some challenges in our lives with respect to this supernatural spiritual warfare that is, has that imposed itself upon us. Now, I want you to know that, um, that Jesus' live big promise is, uh, is, by the way, an intended result of his live big vision that we find in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Could you turn there for a moment and, and look with me? Because this is where um, we understand what Jesus' mission is for us, what his vision for, for the world is. And it's actually a fulfillment, a messianic fulfillment of Isaiah 61, verse 1. And by the way, in its placement in Luke chapter 4, it's right placed exegetically on the heels of the spiritual battle that Jesus had in the wilderness. And I don't think that's accidental. So I mentioned this to you this morning so that you understand that Jesus wants to fill us, but Satan wants to empty us. And the filling that Jesus offers to us is countered by footholds that Satan finds. It may, in fact, explain your past week. Now, here's what Jesus intends to do and why he came and and what his mission is, his vision. Luke 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus said, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners 
to recover of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' vision statement is that spirit filling is upon him and he came to preach good news to people living with bad news. He, he came to proclaim freedom for prisoners who are enslaved in their addictions. He came to give new vision to those who are blinded by darkness. He came to make wholeness from broken pieces and broken lives. He came to declare the abundance, availability of God's favor. It's an amazing vision. And by the way, it's not a hope so. This is what Christ guarantees to those who who by faith trust him and receive salvation. But not without a fight. Not without a battle. And, And you are in fact intended, by the way, through this work of God... Uh, to, um, to, re- to, to experience a spectacular makeover in your life. Spectacular makeover results. You are the most intended you when you are most Christ-like. That's the amazing message that has been proclaimed by Jesus and lived out through the Spirit of God in your life. And so Christ says... Uh, this spectacular makeover and and what it looks like in the restoration of the image of God that you might not be God-like, which was demonic theology in Eden, but Christ-like. There's a huge difference. And and it says here in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And when you sign up to surrender to Christ, and when you, by faith, receive and commit to Him to be all in, all hell breaks loose in your life. Because hell declares open warfare on you. Open war is upon you, whether you would resist it, risk it, deny it, ignore it, or understand it. It is upon you. William Garnell, in, um, a writer in the 1600s, who wrote uh, uh, three work, uh, three volumes on, entitled The Christian in Complete Armor, writes this, It is the image of God reflected in you that so enrages hell. It is this at which the demons hurl their mightiest weapons. In contrast to Jesus' fullness vision for you, Satan has a complete counterplan. If he loses you to the kingdom of Christ, that you escape from darkness and escape from the slavery to your sinfulness, he will fight to prevent transformation from grabbing hold of your life. He will fight hard to prevent progress in spiritual growth. He will fight hard to prevent you from experiencing the kind of victory that Christ wants you to have in the more-than-conqueror kind of victory. He will fight hard to prevent you enjoying the peace that God wants you to have as a result of being His child. All of the fullness that Jesus wants you to have, Satan works day and night to empty in your life. That's the truth of the battle that we're involved in. Satan's be-empty vision is to steal, kill, 
and destroy. Jesus has demonstrated to us his counter vi- the, Satan's countervision. And, and the illustration, of course, in John chapter 10 is a picture of, uh, of the sheepfold, of, of the good shepherd inviting people into his sheepfold to come through the gateway of righteousness, as Psalm 118.20 calls it, the experience of the journey into the righteousness of Christ. And in every possible way, Jesus is warning us, Satan wants to interrupt and interfere with you experiencing this gateway of righteousness and this ongoing journey of righteousness that Christ has for you. The abundant life entrance to make it confusing and missing the experience, counteracting the effects of salvation, the features of God that we talked about that that are to be yours. So one of the questions that we want to surface in this particular study is what do I need to do about this? In, in light of Satan's be empty vision, what that's to steal, kill, and destroy, what do I need to do about this? Well, a key starting point in this, um, this mini-series, in, in, in the Live Big series, is, is to know what to expect. To, first of all, to believe what Jesus says. That, that Jesus is saying the thief comes to steal and more, to kill and destroy. One of uh, Satan's great desires and his favorite means is to lull you into warfare complacency so that you'll become as naive as Eve was in the garden. That's one of his great desires. Jesus says, and the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, we'll look at a few others uh, in the coming weeks, but but Christ is saying here, don't don't be unaware that that the thief comes. Secondly, you need to prepare for war. Jesus in And speaking about the thief metaphor in Luke chapter 12, verse 39, says if if you know the thief is coming, you you bolt the door. I would presume that each one of you, last night, before you turned in for the evening, went down and bolted the door shut. Why would you do that? In case a thief might show up. Try the door and and go in. And that's why the, the descriptions in the scriptures are, don't give Satan a foothold. Don't leave your doors unlocked. Make sure that you understand. And, and Jesus isn't saying, if the thief comes, the thief comes. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. So believe it. Thirdly, uh, be aware that Satan is studying you. Do you know that? Now, now uh, by the way, probably none of us are important enough here that, that we'd actually have some sort of encounter with the main being on the kingdom of darkness, Satan himself. But he has minions a horde of demons at his disposal. And um, by the way, Satan and his horde are not omniscient like God is. They, they can't know your thoughts. But they watch you. They study you. And Erwin uh, Lutzer, in his excellent book, The uh, Serpent of Paradise, states this, of special interest to evil spirits is our secret life. Those attitudes and behaviors we keep from others, they observe our actions. They see what we watch on TV. They observe what we read. And above all, they notice what we say. This provides them with their most fruitful areas of temptation. You you wonder why it just seems like after a church service that you're filled with God and excited about praising God, that somebody pushes just the right button that sends you off reeling. 
Now, the forces of evil have been watching your life. They know exactly what to do. They know exactly how to get to you. How to uh, try and take your heart away from God. How to cause you to become discouraged. Want to give up. And Satan, one of Satan's favorite preventative ways of being detected or an early response intervention. Fourthly, is he wants to cause you to believe that this is all your fault or the fault of others in your life. If he can get you thinking that way, you'll forget about him. That somehow you're the magnet for trouble. Somehow there are unique things about you that attract this kind of life trouble. Somehow, that, that, or, or that it's not about you, it's about everybody else's against you, or how you were raised in your environment. It's, somehow he wants to get the focus off of himself and onto you. Now listen, I, I don't want to take all of the focus off of you, or me. We have a lot going on in our own lives that wars against what God's Spirit wants to do in our lives, but it's not all about us. Jesus wants us to know there's this spiritual battle that's on. If anyone had cause to, uh, to question whether it was all about him or all about his circumstances, it would be Jesus himself. I mean, think about his life. Just a quick rundown. Jesus faced a, a post-birth abortion. At least that's what I'm going to call it. Uh, Jesus uh, grew up in a very insecure time where his family picked him up and ran from Israel to Egypt and they were in hiding, moving from place to place. Maybe he would grow up very insecure in light of that. Jesus faced the fact that there were very important people in his life, uh, allegedly righteous religious people in his life who, who treated him very badly. Jesus had to face that all of his siblings at first treated him very poorly and, 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 and attempted to damage his self-awareness and self-esteem. Jesus had to face the, the fact that his close friends uh, abandoned him and he got bad advice from others. And at his greatest time of need, he was abandoned by all of his followers. And then he was murdered. If Jesus, if, if anyone had any cause to say, well, it, I must be some sort of trouble magnet, it must be all about me or about my environment, it was Jesus. But as he hung on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was at Calvary that the enemy of our souls and prior to Calvary was seeking to destroy the source of our salvation so that it would be so that there would be no way we could possibly have abundant life in Christ. This battle has been raging since the Garden of Eden and it continues to rage to today. But Jesus wants us to know in the face of all of this through the writings of the Apostle Paul, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Flesh and blood is merely the dupe of the evil supernatural forces that are at war with God. And this is a serious matter. Paul writing to the Romans in Romans chapter 8 verse 36 said, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 
But know this, God is not stranded or weakly on the sidelines. It says in 2 Corinthians 4.11, God is not unaware of this struggle, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in, in our mortal body. God is fully aware of the battle that we're in. And he doesn't step in to insulate or isolate us from everything, but rather... He demonstrates by our faith in him and his powerful work in us that the only explanation for God's people are God. And by our lives and by our resistance and by our victories, by God's power, he is revealing himself in our lives to those around us who say, I don't know how you're going through this and I don't know how you're coping with this. I don't know, I don't know how you're, 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 you're still trusting in God through all of this. Well, I am because it is real. Not because of anything good in me or anything powerful about me, but because of the powerful presence of Christ in me. This is serious business. So what exactly is Satan trying to do? Well, in a pithy statement, make your life hell. That's, that's, his total, op, uh, that's his total modus operandi. Which, by the way, he foundations on lies. Th- this whole battle that you are in, in terms of a spiritual battle, is all about lies. Everything that happens in the specific regions of stealing or killing or destroying are foundationed on lies. I didn't make that up. That's not out of pop psychology. That's from Jesus himself, who in John 8, 44, in trying to help the people around him understand why the attacks were coming on Christ and why these attacks were working through people, he said, you belong to your father. These people were resisting Jesus. You belong to your father, he said, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you realize that... um, that the offspring or the sons of the God of this world are lies? The Son of God is truth. There couldn't be a, a more obvious contrast. He lied to Eve. That's how this all got started. This downfall happens when we believe lies instead of truth. When we befriend the offspring of Satan. Lies. And by the way, these lies lead to very bad conclusions, very bad decisions, and very bad actions. And Satan is filling the world with his offspring. By the way, when ungodly stuff is going on, the situation is always filled with lies. That's his be empty strategy. Whatever is on the surface, the core reality, when there is ungodly stuff, 
is always lies. Always. In fact, um, whenever something ungodly is going on, the first question you should ask is, what are the lies here? Now, I want to take a few moments with what's left to go through these three strategies. Foundationed on lies that Jesus warned us about in terms of this thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. The fact that he is one who steals, first of all, implies that he is taking something you already have. Right? That's what thieves do. So what is it that he's trying to take that you already have or have been given? In uh, the case of the garden, in Adam and Eve's case, they had been given everything they need. And the evil one came along and by lying sought to steal away their satisfaction in what God had given them. That's what he does. That's what he does to young people. That's what he does to older people alike. He he sought to steal away their trust in God's goodness. See, God's keeping something from you. He doesn't want you to have this. And so they had been given satisfaction and trust in God. And the thief came along to steal that. And that's what he does in your life today. He comes along to steal fundamentally your trust. And and particularly your trust in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus Christ. He he wants to whisper into your ear, see, after you've slammed the door Monday morning, the gospel doesn't work. The good news that, that Jesus has the power to save those who believe and change their lives, it doesn't work. He wants to steal away your confidence in the ability of God to grow you. This isn't working. You're no different than your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to be guilty of quoting Satan a whole lot this morning, which is odd for a Baptist preacher. But those are the kinds of words and phrases that don't come from Jesus. They come from Satan speaks into your heart, into your life. And it's not too far from the good news doesn't work to God doesn't work. And he isn't good. Look at your sickness. Look at your loss. What's with that thing Rick was telling you about, abundant life? What's with that? Where's that in your life? Maybe God doesn't really work. Or maybe God isn't really good. Suffering, struggling, under attack. Satan, by the way, fights to delay answers to your prayers. Do you know that? If you take the time to read Daniel chapter 10, in particular, verses 12 and 13, you'll find there that Daniel was praying and Satan was seeking to interfere with the answers to the prayers. And we see there that it actually was happening. There is a strength, a supernatural strength that battles the Lord. 
Now the Lord had his way and had his prayer, uh, the prayer response came to Daniel. But when you're sitting around wondering, 18 days after you've prayed and nothing's going on, Satan's whispering into your ear while he's interfering with the, the response to your prayer, the answer to your prayer, he's whispering in your ear, God doesn't work. God doesn't care. God's not listening to you. All the while, the answer to your prayer is on its way. Like a, like, a, like a letter that's already been put in the post box. He wants to steal you. In uh, William Gurnall, in the, that series of volumes on the Christian armor, says this, The devil has more temptations than an actor has costumes for the stage. And one of his all-time favorite disguises is that of a lying spirit. To abuse your tender heart with the worst news he can deliver, that you do not really love Jesus Christ and that you are only pretending, you are only deceiving yourself. How many times have I spoken to people who who have lost their sense of security in Christ because of all the trouble that's in their lives, and they come by and they say, you know what, maybe I'm not even a believer, maybe I'm not even a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the whisperings of the evil one who wants to undermine the simple reality of your faith in Jesus Christ that receives his forgiveness by faith. The second word that Jesus used is the word kill in English. He wants to kill the journey to wholeness from brokenness. But by the way, Jesus used a very fascinating word here. In fact, I, I almost fell off my chair in my office when I, when I saw this. Thuze. Thuze means to kill for food or sacrifice. This is fascinating. When you see the juxtaposition of these two things, Jesus, the good shepherd who comes along to offer food to the sheep, he says, but this one, the thief, comes along to make food out of you and to sacrifice you. I, the good shepherd, have come to be your sacrifice. Wow, the contrast is obvious and spectacular here. Don't choose this way, Jesus said. Don't choose the thief. No matter how good he sugarcoats his ideas and and, and puts before you. He really wants to eat you alive and spit you out. Wow. He wants to kill your holy desires. He wants to tease you to sin. Go ahead, it'll be great. Just like that fishing lure that we fling into the pond. Go ahead, little fish. Eat that lure. Look how good it looks. And when you eat it, I will eat you alive. Well, not really. Unless you're into sushi. Which I'm not, by the way. Isn't that what Satan holds out? Go ahead. Look at this. Isn't this cool? But when you take it, I will kill you. I will eat you. I will sacrifice you. 
And then your guilt and alienation from God will kill your relationship with God. Oh, God wants you happy. She's not making you happy. She's not meeting your needs. Maybe she will. Go ahead. Lutzer writes, Satan attempts to create feelings that alienate us from God, from others, and even ourselves. He finds it most helpful if we brood in isolation and believe our most painful depressions reflect reality. Satan's goal is to set up encampments in your life. Like truth, but they're not truth. Beachheads, if you will. But they aren't freeing. You know the difference between the things that Jesus says to you and the things that Satan says to you? Jesus says freeing things to you. Satan says captivating things to you. Satan brings you lies and seeks to kill you and eat you. Jesus offers to be your sacrifice and to bring you food. You've already given in many times, so go ahead. You failed again. You always fail. You always will fail. Just like your father said, you're a failure. You'll never be any good. You'll never amount to anything. You'll fail at mission. You'll fail at ministry. You'll fail at a career path. You'll fail at marriage. You'll fail at relationships. You'll always fail because that's who you are. You're a failure. Jesus never says that. Satan wants to eat you. He wants to kill you. He wants to thuze you. He wants to sacrifice you. He wants to say stuff like you're worthless. Nobody likes you. If people really knew who you were, they wouldn't like you. In fact, you don't even like you. And I want to tell you something, God doesn't like you either. That's, that's not Jesus. Of course you'll stay angry. And including past sundown. You know why? Because everybody's always walking all over you. And everybody thinks you're weak. But not this time. No way, you're not forgiving them this time. They have mistreated you and you are going to be angry and you are going to make them pay and you're going to stick up for yourself and you are going to prove to everybody, look how strong I am. And Satan just wedges his foot in the door. That's not Jesus talking. God doesn't love you. He knows about that horrible sin of your past. And he's not really forgiven you for it. God never brings up old sins. That's Satan. What does it say in the word of God? What's the truth? There's lies and truth. What's the truth? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he cast our sins. And I will remember it no more. So when the whispers come into your ear about things you've been forgiven of, that's not Jesus whispering. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's an evil spirit. He tries to dig up dirt on you and exploit you at that point. That's a foothold. 
to make you hopeless or feel hopeless. He wants you to uh, hold on to your childhood vows and promises that you maybe consciously continue or unconsciously. He exploits you with your agreement. They become cancerous free radicals to your soul. Things like, I will never trust an authority figure again. Not ever. I will will never, ever again allow anyone to get close to me. Not ever. Everyone has always walked out on me. These are not Jesus' words. These are not Holy Spirit words. These are words to kill you. And finally, destroy. He wants to destroy your spiritual progress. Your head tells you to embrace the truth while your heart is still in bondage to the lies of your past enslavements. And Satan nurtures that. A.W. Tozer gives a brilliant statement when he says, So it becomes the devil's business to keep the Christian spirit imprisoned. He knows that the believing and justified Christian has been raised up out of the grave of his sins and trespasses. From that point on, Satan works that much harder to keep us bound and gagged, actually imprisoned in our own grave clothes. He knows that if we continue in this kind of bondage, we are not much better off than when we were spiritually dead. I'm going to quickly conclude with this because we're going to spend more time on this next week. But but anger is the main strategy that, that Satan uses to thwart our spiritual rescue and growth. Irrational, uncontrollable anger is a sign of demonic activity. It's opposition to spirit work in your life. So says Lutzer, and I agree with them. The Bible agrees with them. It destroys community. Sexual immorality destroys sexual sensitivities. Another uh, one of his main strategies. He wants to wreck marriages. He wants to wreck future marriages. And the reason is because if he can create a dysfunctional family... He has a high possibility of of causing the gospel trajectory to cease in that generation. And so he wants to tell you that uh, this is something that uh, is, is meaningless. It's just a little recreational fun. It always requires increasing levels of sensual stimulation. And since the family is the centerpiece of God's activities... It is imperative that we fireproof our marriages and protect our kids and do whatever we can that the next generation will grow up with purity of heart and love Christ. And Satan won't have a beachhead. And finally, Satan attempts to take you down as well as the people under his oppression. This is a a fascinating thing that that we have no doubt experienced. You have, I have. The enemy will always try in... in, um, John Eldridge's book, Waking the Dead, he brings this out. It's very true. The enemy will always try to get you to do to someone what he is doing to that person. There's there's like a vacuum. It's a spiritual vacuum, a gravitational force. I've seen it so many times, Eldridge writes. A woman came into my office and immediately I felt this pull toward lust and use her. She's available. Her story, then he finds out, centers around the wounds of sexual abuse. He knew that even before she opened her mouth to speak. That's where the enemy has the stronghold. Her story centered on that. Or someone comes in and they're they're beat up in life or or weak. A man comes in and and, and the tendency is to despise him. 
to do to him the very thing that Satan is doing to him. It's insidious. There is a gravitational field the enemy creates around a person that pulls everyone into her life to do to her what he is doing to her. So this is no time for any of us to be passive. This is an act of battle to engage in, to put on the armor of God, which we will certainly talk about. And so then Satan just simply throws this all at you and the tendency is to say, so go ahead, throw it all away. God isn't helping you anyway. Look at you. Spiritual pygmy after all these years. Shouldn't you be farther along? Why am I not? Well, beloved, we have to end the sermon right there. Which is an odd place to end a sermon. Why am I not? The next week you come back, we're going to talk about the battle lines. Are we going to do the last song? Oh, great. I just want to say to you that it would be horrifying to send you out into the street, the highways and byways right now, without a a word from Christ, because you've heard a lot of uh, babbling, the sounds of... uh, Anything but Jesus. I want to send you out with a promise of courage from God's word. I want to send you out with the last thing you hear this morning. I want to send you with is truth. In 2 Timothy 4.18. This is your promise. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. And will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. In the face of all of Satan's lies and all of the spiritual battle and warfare that you were engaged in. And whatever words he's whispering into your heart and whatever you heard that sounded very similar this morning. Know this, child of God. This is your promise. He will rescue you from every evil attack and will bring you safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. But it will not be without a fight. Our Father and our God, we ask that as we embark on this awareness of the spiritual battle, we ask for your power and presence to discern the difference between the subtlety of lies and the truth of Jesus. Jesus never steals or kills, or destroys. The truth sets us free. And any message that comes to us that doesn't set us free is not a message from the Holy Spirit. It's a message from the enemy of our souls. Lord, teach us to rightly discern the messages of Jesus from the messages of the evil one. There is a thief who comes to steal what you have given us, to eat us alive, and to destroy our progress. But there is a Savior. His name is Jesus, who gives us life and gives it to us abundantly because he enables us to be more than conquerors through him. So to God be the glory, because you, Lord, you're the one enables us to win over every evil attack 
and you will take us safely into your kingdom. To God be the glory.